When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. Boy, just when you thought the Big Ten football madness couldn't get any madness, sir, any crazier, here we are on Tuesday recording for our Big Wednesday podcast. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. He's Stephen Means, and he's Doug Lee Maurice swooping back in from vacation to talk about, well, you, you know, it, <laughs> the biggest thing to happen today or the biggest thing to happen in a few days, and it just seems like it, every day trumps itself. Oh, no pun intended. In terms of, in terms of uh, the the weirdness that's going on out there, Doug, were you were you enjoying a a vacation slumber when President Trump tweeted today about his conversation with Kevin Warren? No, I'm not. I'm not slumbering. I'm getting. I'm trying to get some other work done and just clear my head a little bit for the season. But yeah, I mean, the Trump brought me back. That's. I mean, what you know. That's why I'm here. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, it's fascinating, right? It's it's. It's fascinating. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm very curious how we'll all look back on this someday because it's, it's hard to get your head around, your arms around it as it's happening because you don't know where it's going to go. But once we're at the final part where the season's played and everything, and then when we look back, I think we're really going to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Just in case anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, Tuesday morning, President Trump tweets that he had a conversation with Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren about the immediate start of the season or immediately returning to playing football, said that it was a very positive conversation and ended his tweet saying that they were on the one yard line. Um, The Big Ten later put out its own statement confirming that that had taken place that the White House reached out to them. Kevin Warren had a conversation with the president was non-committal about anything beyond that. And we'll get into some more of the details and some of the more fallout in a second. But I'm curious, um, Doug, I wanted to ask you, and I think you kind of – you brought this up in a roundabout way, so I wanted to ask you, like, you've been through other craziness here at Ohio State. Tattoo Gate and uh, the Urban Meyer, Zach Smith situation, other things. Is this playing out in a similar – way i mean i'm i wake up every day and it feels like you're 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 you you walk into like a a a new fully formed episode of this thing that's kind of ongoing and every day just brings up forth like all these new layers and all these new uh, avenues that you have to explore is is this reminiscent of those periods at all i think it most is like the realignment era is what it reminds me of the most because when when it was um the Jim Tressel, Terrell Pryor stuff, or whether it was Zach Smith and Urban Meyer, that was more, that was only about Ohio State. It became a national story, but Ohio State, as much as it couldn't control things, was still could get, could, could control things to some degree because it was their deal, 
right? They were in charge. Ohio State's not in charge of this. And it feels a little more like to me what was happening when you didn't know, you know, is Texas going to be in the Big Ten? Is Texas going to be in the Pac-12? Is, is the SEC going to grow? Is it going to shrink? And that drove me crazy. And that just felt like every day was something new. Much of it was false. Much of it was wrong from like respected reporters plus some sort of sideshow kind of people. And then in the end, there was something and there were some things, but it wasn't quite what maybe you thought it was along the way. Notre Dame didn't join a conference. Texas didn't leave, right? You know, there were Rutgers and Maryland and Nebraska and Texas A&M and Colorado and Utah. You know, there were moving parts, but it didn't implode the way you thought it would at one point. But it was very hard to wrap your head around as it was going on. So that's the thing that it reminds me of the most, except if you would have added into that the president of the United States like saying, West Virginia should be in the Big 12. And it'd be like, what are you talking about? Why is it? So that's the layer that's just like really hard to grasp. I think we've done a good job of avoiding political talk in general, but especially about this topic. There have been some political rumblings along with this topic over the past few weeks. And I, we've stayed away from that. Some of it, I think, has more legitimacy than others. But Stephen, when you see this start happening today, um, my, my initial reaction to it, more than just like kind of the fascination with the, the surreal quality of it, but just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, here we go, because now this does add another complication to it, to the conversation, I think. It brings the politics of it up to the forefront. You can say that that's either a good thing, because if you're on the side of people who feel like this can help push the Big Ten the way it wants it to go, uh, for others, it's, it's an unfortunate thing, because now it gets mixed up in a presidential campaign that doesn't really have anything necessarily to do with the facts on the ground. So I guess when did you have any of that same reaction of just kind of the um, I, I rolled my eyes a little bit just about what this is going to unfold into. And we've already seen it today on social media. Yeah. I mean, obviously there are some people who love that the president got involved because it's, it's in the favor of having the players still have a season, but I was shocked obviously, but it just kind of adds another layer to this of, at the end of the day, the president's made a decision. And if that decision's not going to change, if they're not going to walk that back and change their decision, it doesn't matter who gets involved. It's just words being said on Twitter. Um, Austin Ward from Letterman Row was, I think, the first person to, to tweet anything about this, even, even more, even before the president. Um, and he scooped Trump. Austin yeah. Ward scooped Trump. <laughs> it was impressive. And his reporting specifically mentioned this concept that I think other people have now um, confirmed that it had to do with the testing that one of the things that Trump was kind of offering assistance. It wasn't just like, Hey, you need to play football, that there was some communication from the white house between the white house and the big 10 about what would it take to help this happen or, or something along those lines. And that the, the testing making some of these tests that Abbott produced that the white house bought 150 million of um, last week or announced that it would purchase those making some of those available to the big 10, would um, be what was a big part of the conversation and it leads into a text and we can just kind of talk a little bit more about this but um, is Trump's intervening the first thing that has happened that could actually sway the presidents or would it be the combination of the multiple types of backlash plus Trump's intervention I have to think that Warren has been somewhat affected by the backlash what human being wouldn't and I guess to me uh, this this whole thing really does kind of center on um, is this a a is this a political ploy? Is this a tweet meant to put pressure on the Big Ten or, or push them in one direction? 
or is it actually the White House saying, here's how we can help you play football? Those are two very different things to me. One's a potential solution, and one is just another potential complication, I think, that maybe doesn't have an impact here. I don't think pressure is changing the minds of the presidents of the Big Ten, whether it comes from parents or coaches or the president of the United States. I think testing advances, access to the testing advances, I think that could change their mind. So if this is the White House saying, listen, we have some of this stuff. This is a new development. I mean, the saliva-based testing that can turn around much quicker that I think even though the Big Ten and other conferences are planning on testing, they say they're testing three times a week. If you can test the morning of a game and have a quick, reliable test that by kickoff, right, that you're not waiting 24 or 48 hours for results. If the, if the White House, if what Donald Trump is saying is they can help facilitate the Big Ten's access to tests like that, that is tangible. That is real world progress. That the Big Ten presidents could say, listen, that's, that is a different place than where we were on August 11th. I think that's real. I think, I think that could be real. Just pressure, just backlash, just PR stuff, I never thought that was going to be enough. And I don't think it matters that the president has added on to that. So we don't know the specifics of it. And then it can, and I was corresponding with the texture about this today, it can lead you down a line of if the White House has access and spent taxpayer money on a finite number of $5 saliva tests and they can distribute those throughout the nation however they see fit, is Big Ten football the best use of those tests? So then it's like, well, what discussion are we having? Are we having a Big Ten football discussion and whether if the White House would do that and the Big Ten would accept that help, does that make it more feasible for the Big Ten to play football this fall? I would say yes. Should that happen? Is that the best thing for America? Then I feel like we're getting outside the Buckeye talk bubble. And like, I am not particularly interested in having that discussion because now we're in a political discussion. So I hate it. I hate it. I tweeted it out. I hate it. There is nothing worse in the world than political writers tweeting about sports. Hey, I follow you on Twitter because you're an expert in gerrymandering. But what do you think of the Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen? Please tell me, my God, <laughs> shut up, awful. And sports writers who know nothing about politics, opining on politics, worse, even worse. So this clearly, when the president tweets about it, there is political motivation. And Nathan, if we want to go down there, I mean, like Joe Biden has made this a political issue. Trump has made it a political issue. I think it's a mistake by both. I understand why they want to get involved. I think it's possible it could blow up in both their faces. If the White House can help the Big Ten do better testing, that to me is maybe real. And the rest of it, I think on both sides, I just think is political bluster and both sides trying to figure out if football might be a wedge issue in a close election in a part of the country where which way the Midwest goes in this presidential election might determine it. So I hate that. I actually think now we're going to get a bunch of stories from political people. And we've had political people writing about in the shadows of Ohio Stadium, a lone Ohio State fan walks through a parking lot on a typical, all right, I get it. You're from New York and you came and you found three fans in a parking lot and you wrote a political story and you barely, you don't even understand like whether it's three downs or four downs before you have to punt. So you can save your political story in the show. 
once the great legend of Archie Griffin walked these and now cram it up your cram hole. Awful on all sides. And I have less interest in political in sports writers writing about politics. Well, tangible stuff, tangible stuff could right. work. Right. But here's the, here's the tricky thing. When you talk about the tangible thing about the White House potentially offering these tests to the Big Ten to play football, for the full context of writing about that, you have to say, as a reporter, I feel like, so far, not only has the White House not made that offer to any other conference, it has not even, so as of tonight, the whole day went by, and I've not seen anybody report that the White House even talked to another conference. So it is very specific that they've talked to the Big Ten and no one else about this, and now somehow just pointing that out which I think is an important thing to point out in the context of the story now gets you painted as being a leftist or being against Trump by just pointing that out, I think. And that's what makes these, that's why we steer clear of the political stuff because it's, things are so polarized right now that it becomes a very difficult thing to, to have a real conversation about, I feel like. The, the only thing that we have any chance to be an expert on right now, and we're not even that, is when, when is the Big Ten going to play football? So right. I think whatever we take from the outside that directly affects that question, of course, we're going to write and talk about that. And, and what that means, whether that's worth 0.8% of the vote in Ohio, which we'll let somebody else talk about that poorly rather than talk about it poorly ourselves. And it's, well, actually, it's probably not really even Ohio that this would have a bigger impact and potentially would be one of the other um, industrial Midwest states. But um, today was Christina M. Johnson, the new Ohio state president. Today was her first official day as president. She's been on campus since last week. She's been involved with the, I thought the it was August 24th. It's not August. It wasn't August 24th. I think it was today was the August 24th uh, was the day she actually started, I think. And October 1st was the actual September day 1st. she started or okay. September 1st. Yeah. Um, or was it, September 1st was originally going to be her first day. And I think she tweeted about it today as if it was her first day. I think it may be contractually it was her first day, but she's been here since last week. She did an interview with NBC4 here in Columbus and not only confirmed her vote as one of the three votes against canceling, which, which came out yesterday in the, as we talked about on the podcast for Tuesday, all the stuff from the, the Nebraska um, Nebraska trial that are the players that are suing the Big Ten. Uh, but she also said that she is hopeful that they'll play football this fall. She also pointed out that fall doesn't end until December 21st or whatever. So I, I, I watched that her interview a couple of times, and I did not get to the end of it and feel any more optimistic that there would be football in October. Stephen, did you get a chance to see that, and what was your reaction? I did, and – no, no, nothing has changed for me. I did, she said the obvious. We all knew that she voted in favor of not canceling the season and continuing to try. We knew that already. We could have came to that conclusion on our own. Nothing is going to change in my mind as far as the potential of a fall season unless, you know, we get word that presidents are voting to change their decision on all this. So, right, and that's the world you have to live in. I understand there are these reports of what may happen, but as of right now, the president shows to not play football. So that's how you have to go about things. She could have run down the street away from that camera, right? I don't know. That was, I don't know if they just caught her, if they set that up. I've been trying to set up something with Christina, John, Christina Johnson and was told like maybe in the next couple weeks, not now. How do you think? I'm, so I'm not 100% sure of that. If it was, it, it, there, was a, there was an interview last week where I think the lantern caught her literally walking from her car towards her office for the very first time and they did an interview on the sidewalk this one looked like it was maybe a little bit more 
set up. So I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. And, and, right. She, she, she didn't look ambushed, whatever it was. Right. She, and she didn't look upset to be interviewed. Correct. Right. It looked like it was an arranged interview and that, that, that they had to know that topic was coming. This could be the first step in that, into the point of things changing. That well, could be, that could be the first ripple. I'm not saying, I'm not going to say that's not the case. That's how well, it starts. But well, so she's the president of Ohio state. She was one of the three votes against the fall cancellation. And she chose to do a TV interview that she knew everybody would see and talk about in which she said, I think we can play this fall. Now, as you said, Nathan's pointed out, fall is a long time. People don't realize that fall does last almost until late December. Yeah, Christmas it's almost is Christmas. practically in the fall. Yeah. I actually think we should adjust all the seasons. The idea that summer goes in the middle of September and that fall goes in the middle of December does not fit the, the way that Americans think about seasons. So I would be in favor of shifting all the seasons forward a month, but I'm not sure today's the day we have to talk about that. I thought it mattered. What? She, she wanted to say that. After the vote came out, confirmed 11-3, one of the three, the most powerful three, who has not yet been able to really exert any power because she's still moving into her house, chose to say on camera, I think we can play this fall. I thought that did matter because she didn't have to say that. I think it matters in so much as, yes, I think it, it, it resonates from, big, from Ohio State in a different way and that it, it's important to have her voice out there. Even the Ohio State parents, I think, have been looking for her voice. Tell us, you know, talk to us, tell us what's going on. I, as I pointed out, though, in, in some, some Twitter uh, conversations I was having with people, until you start seeing movement from the schools that actually voted to cancel, I don't think it has as much of an impact. But why? Why? How will those schools move? What would make those schools move? Perhaps public statements from the most powerful no? I think, she, that's a, like I said, that's a good first step. In, she, in you think things. that the public statement from Christina Johnson would have more impact than all of the conversations they're having behind the scenes over the past two, three, yeah. four months? When Ohio State's preference to play in this fall was, was already widely known and on the record? But maybe her public statements are just matching what she's doing behind the scenes. I'm just, I'm just saying, she didn't have to say it. And the one thing that, the thing that we know is that Ohio State voted no. I think the thing that hasn't happened is Ohio State exerting its power to get other people to vote their way. So one thing is worth one vote. The other thing is worth maybe another one or two or three votes, which gets you to the threshold to flip this decision that we know it needs to be 60% on one side, right? So you got to get six I, more. You got to flip six votes. So it's 11 to three and you've got to make it what? You've got to get it to what to play? Nine. Eight, six, nine, five. Nine, you've got to get it to nine, five. So you got to flip six. I mean- if if she ran the other way and said, "Oh, that's internal," I mean, we see that all we see it all the time. Uh, President Johnson, what do you think about the report at eleven through three vote? Do you think you could play this fall? Well, that's an internal discussion. We'll continue to do what's best for our student athletes. There's a lot going on here at Ohio State. We're trying to keep all of our students safe, and certainly when we have a decision about football, we'll let you know. Easily could have said that. Didn't say that. 
I'm going to bring up politics one other time, maybe for the last time on this podcast. And I would be fine if it was the last time we ever brought it up. But it, I think it's, it's important in this conversation because one of the presidents who voted to cancel the season spoke up today. I think they were, submitted a statement, but they didn't say Mitch. something. Don't, Mitch. don't ruin it. Don't step, on the, don't step on the bit. Don't step on the bit. I'm going to get to that in a second. This is what the president said. This is the president, not an AD, not a coach. Not, it's the president who would have voted, who would have cast the vote. The Big Ten's decision was a collective one. After the commissioner and several presidents received very strong advice from team doctors and other medical experts that the unique health risks to athletes, especially in collision sports, as well as the risk for coaches and support staff, were too uncertain to proceed in good conscience. As you have seen, 28 of the 34 Division I conferences, although not yet three of the so-called Power Five, were coming to the same discouraging conclusion. And to state the obvious, that it had to be a collective action it would have been impossible for our school to play when many others were determined not to. That president is not a, a bleeding heart from one of these blue states. It's not a president who is uh, the, the Michigan governor is breathing down their neck or is somebody who is on the record as having uh, political persuasions that are anti-President Trump. That, that, that university president is Purdue University President Mitch Daniels, who might be the president of the United States right now if his family had not been against him running for higher office than the governor of Indiana, which he was the governor of Indi Republican governor of Indiana for two terms. There is nobody involved in big 10 sports right now that has more conservative Republican credentials than Mitch Daniels. And he's stating why he agreed with the science that it was unsafe to play at the time. And that's why they voted to cancel. So I think that's an important thing that people keep reading over those sorts of things and probably reading over things on the other side when they're coming up with their own political biases and bringing their own political biases into these conversations. I just think that it's important to point out that it's not only these, the, the, what people I think think of like stereotypically these university presidents, whatever that means that are setting up some kind of a fortification against having football this fall. Sometimes it's people who are very much politically in line with someone like president Trump who still are voting to not have pro football this fall. I think it is a disservice to everyone to view this as Democrats don't want to play and Republicans do want to play, because I'll also tell you, I think there's some Ohio State president, uh, some Ohio State parents who I think might be Democrats who want to play. Absolutely. So, you can so tell from their social media activity. So, I mean, there's both. Right. I mean, it is one of these things that this as as we're not talking about politics, as with every almost everything in this world right now, there's plenty of things that shouldn't be political, that should just be based on your opinion of the situation and the information that you take in and how you balance things in your life. And that's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, cause it's like, what's political about it? So is it a state's rights versus the federal government issue? Is it a, I mean, like, I don't even know what, what is political about it, except everything's political now. So I do think, I think that's a valuable point that you bring up. People need to know that, that Mitch Daniels, right? Has that. And I, and I, I, I you guys know I do this. So I was out, I didn't run tonight, but I did walk and I was out on my walk and I was listening to the part where Nathan from the Tuesday pod is like, I'm sure Doug's listening to this and going crazy right now. So I just <laughs> which, want to which say, I followed up by being very complimentary towards very, you. very complimentary. And I, I cried on the, on the walking path. I was so touched by <laughs> That's it. That's why he couldn't run. He couldn't run and cry at the same time. He had to walk it. Believe it or not. Aquaman is my favorite superhero. Cause oh, I, I like that makes a lot of sense. Those are my, both of my two favorite colors, green and orange. So that's why I like, Oh, Aquaman. Um, not actually a big Superman guy, even though he was invented in Cleveland. And the, the other thing was, uh, I liked both of your plans 
I had a quick little plant, but also I just wanted to say the one thing about the 11 to three vote that I thought was interesting that you guys maybe didn't necessarily touch on. There's two things because I wanted to sort of ask because it's like, that's the thing. When I do normally talk to you guys, then when I hear you talking, I want to ask questions of you. And I'm like, oh, wait, they're not here with me. I'm just listening to them. I thought one of the important things that the way all that transpired was, and we had reported that Ohio State voted no, and they this confirmed they did vote no, 11 to three. The initial report of the first vote which wasn't a vote, but maybe was a vote, was 12-2. So I think there's an, I do think there's a point, and I don't know if you guys agree, I think there's a point to be made that Ohio State appears to be the only school that changed its mind between the supposed first Dan Patrick vote and then the actual vote. And the way that's been reported since, I think is like, well, maybe the first thing wasn't an actual vote. It was more maybe like a straw poll in the moment if we did vote. And I think Ohio State and Christina Johnson deserve some credit of saying, okay, if the first discussion is, well, I kind of get it, I guess I sort of agree. Yeah, it's tough to play right now. But if you're making me vote, I'm not voting for cancellation of the fall. I'm voting for let's wait and see. And I think, to me, if you think about the way schools value football, if you think about where the schools are located geographically and what the the COVID situations were, in those parts of the country. I, I don't think the vote should have been 11 to three. I think Ohio State deserves credit for what it's like, if you're making me vote, I can't vote to cancel right now. Because the Nebraska and Iowa, I feel like are kind of like, well, we'll play through anything. And everybody else was like, we'll cancel no matter what. And Ohio State was the only one like at all in the middle that was willing to sort of accept information. I think Penn State should have voted against cancellation. I think Wisconsin should have voted against cancellation. And if you go through and you say Rutgers, Maryland, Northwestern, Purdue, Indiana, Minnesota, where they are geographically. Listen, Rutgers and Maryland stink at football. They were on the East Coast. New York and DC had much higher rates than other parts of the country. I get them voting no. I think some schools dropped the ball in the vote. And I, in my list, I had, it made sense to me that Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan, because Michigan's president is an epidemiologist, which is something you have to factor in. And that person in his decision-making process is just going to lean science. Not that every, everyone considers science. He probably leans harder that way because of his background. So Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan, Minnesota, and Northwestern are the no's. I thought Ohio State, Nebraska, Iowa, Penn State and Wisconsin should have been on the other side to keep trying to play. And then Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue, and Illinois, I'm not sure which way they would have gone, but then they would have balanced it. I just, I thought Ohio State deserves some credit for the way that evolved and that their thinking evolved. And I think, I mean, especially Penn State. I mean, yes, science, but just delay football really matters here. Why are we canceling? This is a lifeblood of this university. We're not in a, State College is not a giant urban center where there were some higher, I'm just surprised. I don't think it should have been 11-3. I thought it should have been like. Nine to five. Nine to five, right? Which would have been still enough still to cancel. cancel. <laughs> but, but then, but it's but a different flip. discussion. You can flip that nine to five a little bit easier than 11 to three. I, that's, I just thought, I just thought, I, I thought maybe some schools with the, the priorities of their individual schools and how much football matters in their balanced equation, I think maybe a couple schools voted wrong. 
two things I want to slip in, then we'll get Stephen's thoughts on this. But uh, number one, it may not have been Christina Johnson who was voting when they did the original straw poll because she was just coming aboard at that time, right? I mean, she was still yeah. not even really at Ohio she State yet. She wasn't in so the meeting. That helps explain yep. how Ohio State's thinking may have changed at that point. Number two, this 11-3 to 3 vote that they announced is the, the final vote that got them cancellation. We don't know if there were other votes before that. Like you're saying, I mean, the 12-2 the to 2 thing. I mean, there may have been at one point an 8-6, to 6, and then they discussed it some more. Kind of like you think of I – mean, you imagine like a jury taking a, a straw poll before they take their final poll, and then they talk over the evidence and then get to their their eventual verdict. So, uh, Stephen, just, just your thoughts on, on, on I guess, that, that disparity, that 11-3 to 3 vote, the schools that, that didn't maybe vote for it, and, um, and whether you think – I see what Doug is saying, that why, why a place like Penn State, why a place like Wisconsin, for football reasons, might have voted – been more inclined to vote at least not to cancel yet. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to say to the point of, you know, Ohio State willing to take in all the information – Maybe she did vote. She just didn't have any information yet because she wasn't in the room and she was brand spanking new to the job. And so she just made a decision the way that a president would make a decision. That's thinking about everything but football. But after she had a chance to sit with things and understand the job she just took, you know, she changed her mind a little bit. But I think to that point of what Doug is also saying is when you look at some of the teams, he said maybe should have voted no in cancellation. Football just matters a little bit more. In the sense of, one, there's a success rate there, but also it just matters more to that university than maybe it would at a Rutgers right now just because they're not winning, but also right. you know, but they what didn't. was going on. But they didn't. But they still voted to cancel. Yeah. So did, was but, that a mistake? Like, is I, that a mistake by Penn State? I think so, I, yeah. I think it was a mistake. I thought I said the day it happened, I thought it was a mistake that they were canceling with finality to not have a season. I do think I, – I don't, though, necessarily – impugn the presidents of those universities who I think know how important football is at those universities from potentially still being persuaded by the medical evidence that they saw at the time. I can't say that that was a, a, an imprudent decision by them. I want to get to one text question before we um, get to the other breaking news that's happened tonight um, with Ohio State football, but uh, this is from the 614. Okay, I need a percentage that I should be hopeful they kick off the season by November 7th. I'm at 30% now and that seems very high. Where are you? So for the three, the two of you guys and the three of me, um, what is your percentage confidence that the Big Ten would kick off a season before November 7th? By November 7th. So I guess including November 7th as a potential date. So let me say, first of all, my, I think my imaginary plan might have been start November 7th, play a six-week regular season and a championship game on December 19th. And you oh, so you were, like, you were like the, the, the child of me and Steven. Yeah, I mean, I thought both your plans were really good. But so like that November 7th thing, that still works to me. You just play division games and then you have the two champs of the two divisions play and then you tell the playoff committee, listen, we, we, we played seven games. Our champ has, is, is, has played seven games. Yes, maybe mm -hmm. the SEC's played 10, but we've played seven. This is our champ. I think that's reasonable. And I also think you push back far enough. I almost think it's more important to delay beforehand than to include lots of wiggle room during it because – I feel like you'd be learning from all the other conferences while they were playing. But anybody, if anyway, so I like that idea. I like that November 7th deadline because I think that still squeezes you in before December 20th, but I will say 25% just because I don't, I don't know. I think it's not pressure alone. It has to be tangible evidence. And I just don't know that that is going to come far enough to get them there quickly enough 
And that's why I went with 15%. I have to see something that's going to force the president to think, to rethink their decision. And we haven't seen that yet. So well, the saliva, the saliva test is something, right? I mean, the saliva test is a medical advance since their cancellation decision. Right now, we don't yes. know everything about the application of the saliva test and how you roll it out and how you distribute it. And again, should college football teams be first in line for that? So, And that's what I mean by something that makes a president rethink it. It can't just be an idea. I think they have to be presented the entire way that it can work because then you have to apply it to football over applying it to maybe just the normal student, student campus. So... Yeah, I think the testing is important. I think that is one of the concerns that the Big Ten has 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 laid out or eventually did reveal that was one of its its stumbling blocks and one of the reasons why it canceled. But there are other factors, too, from a medical standpoint. The contact tracing, it sounds like, was a very big concern. Um, there are still studies. I know people have pointed out that some of the initial studies on myocarditis are now discredited, but there are other ones that I think are still – the one that from the New York Times wrote about from the Ohio State doctor that's in peer review that – that are, are still being considered as, as possible links with this virus. So I think there's other medical things that the, the presidents are going to feel still hesitant about. And they're going to look at, again, what's happening in the SEC, some of the other places in the country. It's not like they're being ravaged, but they are having some trouble with the disease there still among the football teams. So I think starting before November 7th, I don't know if it's zero that I would put on it, but I think it's close to zero. And starting as early as November 7th, I, I think I'm probably – same range as Steven. I was going to say maybe like 12%. I, I think it's still more likely. But but I actually like – what I, as I was listening to Steven last night, if people listen to the podcast, I was thinking, you know what? I think your plan actually makes a lot of sense. But I still like some vers- some aspects of mine, and I think that's where Doug kind of landed was I think that the hybrid of that might make a lot of sense. Start as early as November 7th with a tight season. Give yourself some room. You can still play a conference championship game. You still be in the playoff. I think there's merit to that. And you get kind of the – the um, the bubble effect that Stephen was talking about for a, for a big portion of that season, if not all of it. I like Doug's plan. If the NCAA will seriously consider the Big Ten champ, the undefeated Big Ten champ for the playoff, I think I like would. that plan the best. A seven and zero Big Ten team. Yeah. If, if if Ohio State or Penn State went seven and zero, beat the other one, beat Michigan, um, I think they would be considered. I think that would be a legitimate. Because people know how good Ohio State is. They know how good these teams are. So I, I, let's, let's make one last political point here. Sure. Um, and I don't, I don't think this is political. I think, that, I think this is factual. Much of the federal government's response to the coronavirus so far has been to let the states handle it, right? That that's been a big right. thing, that the federal government has sort of made that decision that we will maybe oversee things, but it hasn't been a coordinated top-down federal government response. So now if the idea is like, well, now the federal government, they're the ones who are going to come in and hand out this test. And now the federal government is going to make it possible for the Big Ten to play football. That is not how it's been handled for the most part so far, right? That, that honestly, it has been much more state coordination. And we've seen states bond together regionally to gather testing materials and that kind of thing. So I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying the track record of how coronavirus has been dealt with so far might lead you to, to the idea of, well, is, is it, how feasible is it that the federal government then really would choose to execute a plan to get these tests to the Big Ten? I don't think that's a good look. The first time they do that is for a football season. 
But oh. that's a whole different conversation that we don't, we don't need to have one. Not, not to make this about politics, but do you think they care how it looks? You're have, right. They care how it looks in attention? certain places and it would I look mean, good in the places they want it yeah. to look good in. I mean, I mean, like, if people said, how dare you, those should be going to kindergarten teachers. I just, I don't know that that would be a factor. The logistical expertise to coordinate the distribution, again, they have relied often on the states to do that themselves. But maybe they would yep. pass out pass out the tests to the states and allow those states to coordinate with their Big Ten universities. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's just a point of when you look at how the things have gone so far. One piece of breaking news tonight that had nothing to do with politics, um, as far as I could tell, was uh, Ohio State picked up another commitment. Stephen, why don't you fill us in on that? This is a 2022 commitment at a position where they've had a need that's kind of been lingering there, even in the 2021 class, and this kind of helps address this situation for the long term. Yeah, Bennett Christian out of Georgia, three-star tight end, just committed tonight. He actually told me last Thursday, and that story will be up in the morning. But well, by the time So you is, sat on this for a week, for like five days? I did. I did. This is the nature of, of covering recruiting in 2020. It is. It is just knowing it's, information and not. And that's it. And guess what? I'm fine with that. I love this new thing where the kids just get to report yeah. their own commitments and we don't have to chase it. <laughs> did you give the Texers a pss? A pss? No? You didn't get the Texers? Yeah, I, I kind of hinted at it before uh, uh, Tyreek Williams committed that, hey, this is also coming as well. And I'm pretty sure this is how – it was like my own way of doing a crystal ball without really having it be called the crystal ball because that's two four sevens thing. But yeah, the point they got one or two. Um, the next one could be coming soon. Benji Gosnell obviously is a guy who's highly who's on Ohio State's radar on the highway. But Ohio State needs two tight ends in 2022 because they're probably not going to get it in 2021. And Bennett Christian, who took matters into his own hands and created his own unofficial visit, since Ohio State can't have anything to do with it, him and his family just drove up to Columbus and they drove to Knoxville and they took their own tours around the campus and around the city and basically validated the decision that he wanted to go to Ohio state. And really the only reason why Tennessee was involved at this point is because his dad actually played at Tennessee as a defensive tackle back in the seventies. And he committed to Ohio state pretty much right after that trip to Columbus, right? Yep. Yep. The, the, the coaches found out a couple of days later, the other commits found out and then, you know, the world found out on Tuesday. I think we might well, have to Steven, come up with a, with a Steven or whatever we want to call a Steven means crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah, at this Me, point. Yeah, I'm trying to. Th- I was trying to think of something in just off the top of my head, and it's 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 not going to work. But we'll we'll put some thought to that. We have, you know, what we haven't followed up on is the dead eds. I I really like that term. I think we should really lean into that. Our our tech subscribers are the dead eds, the dedicated, educated followers of Ohio State football. If you're not a tech subscriber, six one four three five zero three three one five. That's where you get our immediate stuff that you were getting today. Been a Christian signing or committing that sort of thing. I will say that uh, we hit that so hard on one of the more recent podcasts that one of our Twitter followers gave us a one-star review because they said this podcast is a paid, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> a paid podcast only, and it only caters to the tech subscribers, and then he blocked me on Twitter. So, Jeez. So, like, I don't – I agree with that. Like, we, it's not that we don't love you if you're just a not, – and not you're just a listener. If you're a listener but you're not a tech subscriber, we still love you. But – you get extra stuff from the tech subscription, but that guy got really mad. He got like really offended about the dead. It wasn't, yeah, he was just really upset about it. So I felt a little bit bad about that. Well, we'll miss him. 
Um, that's, the, that's the end of this first uh, segment of today's podcast. We're going to get into some rapid fire stuff. Doug, are you sticking around for that? Or is it just going to be me and Steven? Let's, let's tease and let make people come back after the break and find oh. out. <laughs> you, you've got to stick through this commercial to find out if Doug Lane Reese will still be on the other side of it. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We are now entering the rapid fire segment of this. We turned off our video, so I actually don't know. Is, Doug, are you still there? I'm still here. I mean, come on. It's a chance to talk. Did you really think I was going to turn that down? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. But what we did do, so it's, it's, it's rapid fire. We're going to do a, a couple segments of rapid fire. And thanks to everybody, all of our tech subscribers who joined in. And I, I painstakingly recreated these questions onto a script and sent them to Doug and Steven. So we'd have them to reference, as Doug does for us when we do the same thing. And Doug has not read them. So he's going to be flying blind. We'll see how that affects these answers. But uh, first up, from the 937. Also, the 8X asked something else. I only got the last part of it. There's literally no chance the gossip of Fields looking to go back to Georgia is true, right? So if people don't understand what this is about, over the weekend, Justin Fields attended Georgia's scrimmage. Obviously, Justin Fields is from Georgia. He went to Georgia his freshman year before transferring to Ohio State. And that obviously led to a lot of speculation because Ohio State's not playing and Justin Fields wanted to play this fall. Um, people throwing in there, is Justin Fields going to transfer to Georgia? Uh, Steven, I'm sure you saw that this was going on. Did you have any thought that, Ohio, that Justin Fields might transfer to Georgia? No. And, and do what if he transfers? He's going to start playing for them three weeks from now after he shows up randomly? No, he's not going anywhere. If, he, if he's not playing for Ohio State, he's preparing for the NFL drafts. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Justin Fields attended Georgia as a freshman. So, number one, I don't know that he can transfer back. His sister goes there. She plays softball. But, right, but, but, on, but on top of that, like, you don't get to just keep transferring back and forth. Like, there are rules about this, and he wouldn't be a grad transfer yet. So, unless he got some sort of a waiver from the NCAA, and I know they give those out a lot more liberally than they used to, I'm just skeptical that he could transfer somewhere else. B... Yes, his sister goes to Georgia. He's from, you know, an hour away or whatever it is. He still has friends on that team. It, it did not strike me as being that odd that he would be there. And it also didn't strike me, um, you know, someone had asked me, hey, do you think he's just kind of rubbing the Big Ten's nose in it by going down there? And he knows he's visible and that this story would probably get around. Is he rubbing the Big Ten's nose in it that he's down watching Georgia's scrimmage and, uh, and Ohio State and the other Big Ten teams aren't playing? I also didn't really buy that because I, I don't see that kind of vindictiveness in Justin Fields what I know of him now I guess I can't dismiss it entirely but that that struck me as being a little um, unlikely as well I think sometimes we as people can <laughs> we, we think too deeply into what athletes do and you know I think we overthink it sometimes I think that athletes do things out of malicious that they would never even think about doing for that matter I think he just wanted to go watch football look it's 2020 it's 2020. It's a bizarre world. You almost have to assume that the weirdest thing that's going to happen it's too much happen, credit will happen. But I, I, I think I, I don't think I don't know that Justin Fields will ever play football for Ohio State again because of the circumstances. But I, I'm 99.9% sure he's not transferring to Georgia. I don't think he's transferring to Georgia. I think if he wanted to transfer to Georgia, he could be their starting quarterback with like two weeks of prep. And I think if he wanted to transfer to Georgia, he probably could have some lawyer, Tom Mars or somebody else, get him the waiver since his conference didn't play this fall. So yeah. I think, I, like, 
I think if he wanted to, it might be there for him. And I think that maybe Kirby Smart would take him, even though he has two other transfers. But no, I don't, I don't think it's happening. There's a question on the college football playoff 2020. It was addressed to Doug, so thank God he stuck around. Uh, I know you aren't the biggest proponent of the little guys getting to compete for the title because they will get killed. Is this the perfect storm to get Central Florida, whoever, into the playoff? Or do you think a two or three loss power five would get in the playoff over, I guess, an undefeated UCF or, or whoever? Uh, this is all assuming we don't have three undefeateds and a one or two loss runner up. I, we talked about this a little bit, I think, when we, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the – maybe it was on the market down Monday when we were talking about whether Ohio State would have won the national championship. And uh, I think it actually still – it might even be harder for a team like that to get in because if you're only playing a conference schedule, you don't have any kind of a non-conference game to boost your resume, which I think is what it would take for someone like UCF to get in. They'd have to beat somebody else that, outside of that conference – even as that some of those mid-major conferences kind of grow, the group of fives kind of grow in esteem. I just, I think it would, I think a one or two loss, anybody from a power five probably still gets into the playoff over them. I think like the year Houston beat Oklahoma to start the year, I think it was 16 right before Oklahoma played Mm -hmm. Ohio state. Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing I think you're right. Those crossover non-conference games are what boosts you. Also, I know the person didn't specifically say UCF, 10 Central Florida players opted out on Tuesday. They did specifically say UCF. Yeah. That was who okay. they said. They said Central Florida. So probably not them, but also I would be in favor. I don't think they will get in. I think Nathan's right. I would be in favor of them getting in and losing 90 to nothing and ending <laughs> this discussion forever. However, Oklahoma got in last year and gave up 14 touchdowns to Joe Burrow in the first five minutes. And nobody said Oklahoma should never be allowed in the playoff again. So I don't know, but, but I, I would not mind that in a screwed up year, like ending the little guy college football debate in a 14 playoff forever, I think would be a great service to everyone. Just for a quick clarification, they said central Florida or whomever. So they were talking about, that was one example they're giving. And then they said a two or three loss power five team. So you wouldn't be putting UCF up against a one loss Oklahoma or whatever. You'd be talking about a three loss Georgia or whatever. Um, but there would have to be, I, I, I guess even in just four teams among these three conferences, I, I don't know. That would be pretty muddled to where the fourth best option out of the power five, the three power five conferences would be a three loss team. Right. Yeah. It would have to take that. It would have to take there being a, it, it, them, an undefeated American team getting in over a two or three loss team from one of the power conferences. That's, that's the only way it would take it. And I just, I would imagine, I, I, I mean, it's like, okay, so Georgia has two losses. They lost to Alabama and Florida during the regular season, but then they, you know, like they're still better than, than somebody from the American, you know, I just think it'd be yeah. really hard. I think that's where the, the margin of victory and things would come into play. Like if, if Georgia lost two competitive games like that, that gets them the benefit of the doubt over a team like maybe, you know, from last season, like a Memphis or a Cincinnati, if, if the team like that went through a season undefeated. Um, but it's going to be in a shortened season with no non-conference help to kind of goose your resume. I think, I think that would be tough. From the 619, I'm curious about leaks slash leaking to the media. We hear about this in almost all realms, whether it be sports or politics. We keep hearing the anonymous sources. How does that work in the media world? Is that just an AD or someone in the front office with knowledge of an ongoing situation? And the answer to that last sentence is yes. 
it's all of the above. <laughs> it's, 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 it could be just about anybody. Now, one thing I want to make sure people understand, because I do think there's sometimes people who don't understand this. They see anonymous sources and they think that that means that our phone rang and we picked it up and somebody said like, Hey, I'm anonymous. You don't know who I am, but here's a piece of information. And then we said, Oh, awesome. And we hang up the phone and go print it. That's not what an anonymous source is. The anonymous source is I know who you are. I've hopefully vetted the information in some other way, but I'm protecting your anonymity and, and hopefully for reasons that are not just sort of because you don't want to have your name attached to it, that there's maybe um, something a little bit more gravity, gravity to it than that. So, but I think this is an interesting topic because I think it's something that people don't really understand. And right now it's where everything's getting reported, right? Like nobody's citing any sources right now, unless it's, uh, the, the reporters who were actually reading the court filing yesterday or or maybe the Big Ten actually puts out a statement or they could read President Trump's tweet. But anything that else that's getting reported right now, including some of the reporting we've done, has been um, an Ohio State source, a Big Ten source, sources close to the situation, that sort of thing. That's how these things are getting reported. And frankly, it's a tightrope that we walk because it's, I think, it, from a credibility standpoint, you don't want to overutilize them. But in a big story like this, it's sometimes the only way that real information can get out there and sometimes wrong information, but, but real information, especially. Every sports reporter on the planet has somebody named Deep Toot in their phone who feeds them information. Deep Toot? Deep, you've never heard that before? Or Deep Throat, whatever you call it. I don't know. Throat, I've heard I don't know. <laughs> whatever you call it. Deep Toot. That's, Is it Deep like Voice a, or whatever? I don't it's know. Like, it's like a baritone fart. <laughs> I don't, I, whatever they call it when like, like you have an interview with somebody and they don't show their face and all that stuff and they. Yes. Deep throat. Yes. All the president's okay. men. I'll bring it over sometime and we can watch if you haven't seen all president's men. I've never um, seen that movie before. You, you, we should watch it. It's, it, it's a, it's a good yarn. Um, I think Doug has probably definitely checked out of this podcast by now. Are you yeah. still there? <laughs> I'm trying to recover from deep toot. Uh, <laughs> I can only, like I said, we turned the video off, and I'm so mad that we turned the video off because I wanted to see your face when he said <laughs> well, deep toot. Deep. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so, I can um, just, did you pick up those pink headphones and just shatter them against the wall? <laughs> I just am amused. It's, it's. I mean, that's that that movie came out when Stephen was minus 25, so like it's okay. Yeah, but it's the most. It's Where, like yeah. the most famous piece of American journalism in history. Yeah. Um. So I would say a lot of the time, I think this is important in a world where um, there's a lot of sort of internet people who are saying that they know things about stuff. And it's not impossible for people like that to somehow have a connection to somebody. Here's the thing that I would tell our loyal listeners here. Um, you hear a lot of sort of like random stuff and a lot of us don't report every kind of random thing that we hear because you don't really, the person who's telling you it doesn't really know and you know that they don't really know. And so putting it out there like isn't fair to anybody that, I mean, I, and this was, we got this a couple, a couple texts on this the other day and it was from like one person on Twitter tweeting something that supposedly a big 10 assistant coach is like told his players like get ready or whatever. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like the person that you're claiming that you have information from like, doesn't even know that person is not in the know. They might've heard something second or third hand and misinterpreted it. And now it's thrown out there to the world and everybody's like, Hey, I heard this. So 
I would say when you hear from people like us, when you hear anonymous sources, it's either multiple sort of people who would have knowledge of it, but not perhaps like 100% direct knowledge, but then you've got to be hearing it from a lot of different people, right? From multiple people. Or yeah, like it's maybe it's somebody who is really in the know, who just is not going to put their name behind something. But if we hear it from them, we know that we can trust it because they are directly involved in the situation. And that comes up. So it happens, I think, both ways. But if it's the people who are directly involved, then you don't need as many people to confirm it. If it's sort of these people on the side, then you better have multiple people telling you the thing because there have to be you know, different paths for the information to follow. So um, when you have national guys like Bruce Feldman, who I think is the best college football reporter out there, Pete Thamel is also excellent. And they have national, Nicole or Auerbach's been doing a great job on the Big Ten beat on this stuff. You know, they have sources at all the different schools. So if they say a Big Ten source, it's probably like an AD, but you don't know which one it is, right? Or it might even be a president, or it might be like, Kevin Warren, for all we know, but they have so many people that it could be that because they are national or they are conference-wide, they aren't tied to one school, that it sort of spreads the anonymity and it protects the sources better. It's a little harder when you only cover one school because it's like, listen, I mean, like, come on, how many different, you know, how many different people can it be, right? I mean, let's just be realistic about stuff. So, I will tell you when we report stuff, I mean, we are not, it's not like somebody who was walking down the hallway and heard something. It's not like somebody whose friend is, works with a parent of a player and they heard like, that's not, that's not how we go about things. So like, we, we really need to be able to trust the people that, that give it to us. But I understand, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners and readers and tech subscribers who like don't exactly understand how we go about gathering the information. But I will just tell you that if it's just sort of like a random person on Twitter who they don't even use their real name, they might be hearing something, but like they're not vetting it. They're just regurgitating everything they hear from a person who may or may not actually have the right information. And like, we just aren't gonna do that. If we're telling you something from a source, it's either multiple people or it's somebody like who really, really would know and we know that we can trust. I've, I've worked for an outlet that where we were not allowed to under that regime, under that publisher and editor at the time, we were not allowed to use unnamed sources at all. So we could have multiple unnamed sources that could confirm that so-and-so was going to be the next football coach at Purdue or so-and-so was going to some major development and we were not allowed to publish it. If somebody else reported it, we could report on their report, but we couldn't report it. And that was a really frustrating experience. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, but I also have seen a bunch of people get burned on reporting things based on unnamed sources and then it falls apart in their lap and uh, they suffer, their esteem suffers for it um, for a long time. So when we do report those things too, just to, to follow up on what Doug was saying, all, anytime I think we're reporting, you see from an unnamed source, that's going through an editor in some way. That they, Our editors at least getting a heads up that like, hey, this is what I've heard this is kind of where it's coming from and this is how I'm going to report it. And that's how that gets out. There is a vetting process for that sort of thing. Um, I'm going to keep it on the journalism questions because somebody else had a, had a, a rapid fire within the rapid fire. And one of them was about journalism uh, from the 614. What are the advantages and disadvantages to fans of having such a wide range of outlets cover Ohio state football? I think we're kind of see that play out right now because I think 
Um, somebody even mentioned this um, today on Twitter in, um, or maybe it was in one of our texts uh, that, you know, they look to us for kind of one sort of way to cover Ohio state football. And then they listen to other podcasts for another way to cover Ohio state football. And I think right now, as long as I think you're a, a discerning listener and, and kind of consider again, sources and things like that, I think you can get a, a well-rounded experience of, of how to cover this football team from a lot of different outlets, but you guys have both been here longer and you have been around this program longer and maybe have a different perspective on that. But I think it's, um, there are a lot of outlets who cover this team um, professionally and cover it with the kind of um, journalism respect that it deserves. You also have more out outlets that are a little bit more fan oriented. That doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing though. So I think people get a, a pretty well-rounded selection of what they want. There are people who probably don't listen to us because maybe we aren't as fan uh, first um, and there are probably other people who maybe turn off a more fan first place because they want a, a different perspective. Go ahead, Doug. Okay. So we, we talk about this a lot and I do think that's the main thing. I think it's great that there are a variety of outlets and there are a lot of people who dedicate their careers to covering Ohio state football and it gives Ohio state fans a lot of options. I think it's the most saturated college football market in the country. Maybe I'll no. Actually, I'm no. I'm not sure that it is. I bet that it is. With as many places and as many people who cover it for their full time job, and I do think it's great. I think the defining characteristic is sort of like, and I don't know if it's even fan friendly. It's how team friendly you are. Like, are you sort of rooting for the team or not? Yeah, that's a better way to say it. Yeah, because I think we're fan friendly, but we're not team friendly. Yes, that's a better way to say it. And, and in this day and age, and I've covered this, I mean, like that's a lot of people like that. And I've thought about this myself a lot. And I, I was happy you guys brought up Disney World the other day when I wasn't here. But I thought about it in terms of like a thing I love. I love Disney World. But if I was reading about Disney World or listening to a Disney World podcast, I don't know if I would want to listen to a Disney World podcast who was like, you know what? Pirates of the Caribbean, I don't think it's a great ride. I think the first hill should be steeper. I think they changed the way the pirates chase the people. I don't like it. They put the Johnny Depp stuff in there. I think I just maybe would want to listen to somebody who's like, I love Disney world. I love it. I love it. Cause I love it. I like love every part of it. And I don't maybe want to hear about its flaws. And I don't maybe want to hear about if Disney world's quarterback coach is not as qualified as I would like Disney world's quarterback coach to be right. Like, so I get it. So if you just love Ohio State, I'm sure you don't want to hear the stuff that I say sometimes. And maybe somebody who just is maybe a little more generally positive or more outwardly rooting for the team, that's an option for you. And I think that's good. I think it's good for everybody. But I will say across the board, all the outlets, I mean, there's a lot of really good reporters who are reporting good stuff. And so the information I think is good regardless of where you get it, it's maybe just about how it's presented to you. And I think the variety of presentations, I think that's a plus for Ohio State football fans. Deep toot, here's one for you. Uh, what about covering Ohio State is different than you expected? Um, you're, you're DT'd by, from now on, by the way. Thanks. Um, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think just as the, the lead recruiting guy here, I think recruiting is such – is a much bigger deal than I thought it would be. I didn't think people would care this much about teenagers who wouldn't actually make an impact on this team for maybe a two or three years after they actually made the decision to decide somewhere. You know, obviously it's a big deal. Somebody commits, but the extra stuff of 
a kid put out his top 17 or, you know, he came and went to a football game. It's just so many different layers. While because I went to a mid-major college at Kent State, recruiting, covering recruiting for us was just on signing day, they gave us a piece of paper, all the people they brought in, and we asked questions about it for 15 minutes, and that was it. We didn't talk about it again until they did something on the field. But here it's, you know, Travion Henderson commits in April, and it's like, man, this guy might be the best running back Ohio State's ever had. It's like he's 17 years old. We don't know that information. Jack Sawyer committed three years before it was time for him to get on campus, and we are talking about him within the same way that you would talk about a Chase Young or a Zach Harris in the sense of, is he the next guy in that line? And like, he's 15. Who, who knows? Who, he might not even be that good. So it's just, it's just interesting to see how much bigger of a deal recruiting is and just projecting 15- and 16-year-old careers when they haven't necessarily – they've committed, but they haven't signed a piece of paper to go anywhere yet. So they don't have to, you know, I guess I agree. They, they can bounce at any time, I guess. Here's one I think we can all answer. Um, can we hold on a second? Sure, sure. Can I interrupt? I would like Nathan to answer that question because, Nathan, you covered another Big Ten school. Yeah. So yeah. I'm cu- I would be curious from your perspective what, what has surprised you about covering Ohio State that maybe you didn't expect. Well, and I, th- I knew that it was, a, a like you mentioned, a bigger group. But the first day you walk into the team room and there's like 60 people in there or whatever there is on a, on a Tuesday for our um, – for our first media deal of the week. Um, that was a little bit coming from where I covered Purdue basketball and there would be like three reporters in a hallway for one of the best teams in the country. You know what I mean? So I think that it, it, it go, kind of goes back to just that sheer volume of it. There's just so many people. And um, especially considering how many of them do have, um, you know, dedicated guys and, and girls and, uh, or men and women who are uh, tied in with sources. And, and uh, it's, it's a tough beat to cover because there's some, there's some really good reporters on it. So it's more just the volume of it really that it, and, and the, um, it just seems like this, this glacier that's just always just kind of plowing right at you. One more along the line, this is more of a, a fandom line uh, from the same uh, texter as a sports fan. What moment could be as a kid or before you were covering sports was the most fun and what was the most heartbreaking? And I, I have trouble remembering what would maybe be the most fun. The most heartbreaking came to me in a millisecond. Because I was – so the, I grew up a, a huge baseball fan. That was like my first love in sports. And uh, I was a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And they made the World Series in 1987, which is like the first year that I really remember. I would have been – I turned uh, nine in August of that year. So it was just like, that was like a huge formative year in that team. And that was a really fun era to be a Cardinals fan because they had all those guys who just hit triples and stole uh, tons of bases and uh, a lot of fun. And uh, they made it to the World Series. Uh, Minnesota Twins went seven games. Game seven was on a Sunday night. And I fell asleep during game seven and um, woke up and the Twins are celebrating on the field. And like, I have this indelible image of Kent Herbeck and Kirby Puckett who – I think we could agree both conservatively described as chubby. These two guys just hugging each other and laughing and crying. And uh, it upset me greatly as a young child to, to watch that unfold before my eyes. Cause my dreams were crushed. I was going to watch the Cardinals win a world series and uh, I didn't get to do it. Um, I, I think the most fun moment was uh, I growing up in central Illinois. We also followed Illinois sports. And I remember this game, uh, the year that Illinois was really good, the 1989, the flying Illini teams for anybody who's old enough to remember that. And uh, they were playing at Indiana and they had the, it was like a last second thing. They were down and they had to pull off like the, the throw, the baseball throw from a baseline across mid court to 
um, I think it was it was either Kendall Gill passing to Nick Anderson or the other way around, and somebody hitting a three at the buzzer to win that game. And we just thought it was like the greatest thing we'd ever seen. So those are two from my childhood that like both ends of the spectrum that really stand out. How about you, uh, Stephen? Um, yeah, I have two, and then mainly it's because I was with the same person while I was watching the heartbreaks. Um, the first one is the 2016 uh, NCAA national championship game. I'm a, I was a North Carolina fan growing up, and I was very excited um, when the game was tied at 74. And I'm thinking we're going to overtime and North Carolina is going to be able to come back and win this game because Marcus Page just hit the most incredible shot in the world. And then Villanova comes down and hits the buzzer beater to go up 77 to 74 and to win a national championship game. And then I was on the floor. There's, like, there's probably a picture of me that had a crying MJ meme put over it at some point on Twitter because I was talking a lot of trash up until he hit that shot. And then my face was on the floor in our apartment. And then the second one happened eight months later as an Atlanta Falcons fan having to watch them, you know, blow a 28 to three lead to Tom Brady and my roommate talking all types of trash to me the entire second half as I watched it go down because I was very excited at halftime when I thought we were going to win a Super Bowl. So, yeah. I still choose to live with this man, though. I don't know why, but, you know. Doug, did you have I, one you want to throw in? Uh, when I was seven years old, my baseball team won the World Series, and I can still I can remember like being at my grandma and grandpa's house and sitting in a chair and watching Tug McGraw strike out. I think it was Willie Wilson uh, of the Royals. I grew up in Pennsylvania, so it was Philadelphia Phillies, and and like jumping out of the chair and running around, like being seven years old. And my baseball baseball is my favorite sport. And my team won the World Series, and I was so excited about that. Like the heartbreak. I mean, I think to me. Um, it's, and again, I, I, I don't keep, ha- you guys know it by now, but it's like, I'm not a fan of the teams I cover, but you, again, you feel it for the people and, and truly when Ohio state was number one all season and then the national championship game against Florida, just like got away from them so quickly, that was like hard to sort of understand in the moment and to process that as you're writing about it, but realizing, oh my gosh. All these Ohio State fans thought they were going to win the national championship. I hadn't covered the 2002 national championship team. They're number one all year. They have the Heisman Trophy winner. And, like, they, their best offensive weapon scores a touchdown, gets hurt, and they get their doors blown off. Like, that was hard to process at the moment. Like, heartbreaking on behalf of, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And then also I was, you know, I, I was at the World Series, the Cubs and Indians World Series in game seven, and it's like you're going – extra innings and there's a rain delay and then it's two historic franchises who have been cursed and one breaks the curse and the Indians don't and just being like wow like I can't believe that happened that way so there's been a lot of stuff um I mean it's just been a really interesting time I I wasn't at you know game seven of the of the Warriors Cavs or anything when the Cavs won but I mean you just think about what has happened with both Ohio State football and then you know teams in Cleveland in the last 20 years and it's just been like a really interesting time for sports fans where of both heartbreak and elation and um yeah i mean it's been i mean it's just it's kind of what sports are all about so it's been good yeah man i I love a game seven like a a a a taught game seven like a game that actually is something there at at the end of a game um the you know the indians marlins world series um the the diamondbacks yankees world series you know some of these other nba ones i mean um a competitive game seven. There's like, there's nothing like that. That might be my favorite thing in sports period. Two best words in sports game seven. 
one more before we take a break. This is from the 513. And they're asking a lot about just how we're handling the pandemic in general. I wanted to, to zero in on this. Uh, I know Doug is often charity doesn't go anywhere during this. So I wondered, how are you two handling this? He was asking this of Stephen and I before they knew Doug would be uh, gracing him, us with his presence. Uh, are you going out now that movie theaters are open? Would you go to a movie indoors? Would either of you feel comfortable spending time in a friend's house for a few hours? I've done all of those things. I mean, I've, I've, we've gone to friends' houses. We've even gone to some restaurants um, where they've been really spaced out. I wanted to kind of zero in, though, on the movie theater idea because um, I used to live kind of just north of the short north before I moved and uh, we loved going to the gateway film center and we heard that they are reopening. They're going to be on a, like a limited schedule. Cause they're going to do more cleaning and there's going to be, you know, distancing in the, in the seats and people are going to be spread out. But I'm kind of trying to talk my wife into like, Hey, I think I want to go. Like, Cause I love movies. I love going to movies. That's my favorite way to watch movies is at the theater. Like I, I kind of want to go and wear my mask and, and, and go that way. And she's still more like, eh. I don't know if I'm ready to, to do that. So uh, I'm in. I'm ready to go watch movies. I don't know how you guys feel. I know how Doug feels. I don't think Doug's going to movies. Yeah, it's gonna be, yeah, it's going to be a while before I go back to a movie theater. That might not even happen until next summer. You know, it's, that might be quick. But I, I would also say that you strike me as someone, and, and maybe even Doug, who don't actually go to movies as much as I probably did before all this. Correcto mundo. I do not. Um, I did in college just because the, they're cheap and it's something to do in Kenton, Ohio, but no, not now. No, I, I go to movies all the time. I love yeah, going okay. to movies. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, like I love going to movies and I love going out to eat and I don't think I'm going to be doing either in the places right now. Cause to me, part of the deal is the risk involved. And if you're at a place and you have to keep taking your mask off because you're eating what you're doing and I, I can't go to a movie and not eat popcorn and so if you told me well you can go to a movie but you have to keep on your mask the whole time and not eat popcorn i'd say well then i don't want to go um and i think the rule there right now is kind of like at restaurants right now you can have your mask off when you're seated but you have to have it on any other time right which to me is like well what, what i mean what does that even mean i mean right. like you have it off the whole time i mean you go to it i mean i i've gone and gotten takeout a lot. That's the thing. If you can sort of simulate the experience at home, mm -hmm. I can watch movies at home. Not the latest movies, but a lot of movies. I can watch movies at home. I can get the food I want and eat it takeout at home. I'd, I'd rather eat it there, but the difference in the enjoyment level to me is not worth the risk yet. And if I'm going to be indoors somewhere with a lot of strangers for an extended period of time, I don't want to be doing that if everybody's not wearing a mask. And at a movie or at a restaurant, people aren't wearing masks while they're sitting there. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah. We've eaten indoors twice. One was on our honeymoon. Um, we ate outside a couple times there. And then there was a last place we went for breakfast. We ate indoors. I think there were like maybe two other tables with people at them in a pretty large place. So we, we were okay with how spread out that was. And then, um, just this past Friday night, we went here in uh, up the road in Bexley um, because it was supposed to be my birthday dinner. And my wife specifically picked it because um, it was going to be outdoors. And then right as we were about to order, it started raining. So they everybody got sent back inside. But it was, again, it was still pretty spaced out. I'm, I wasn't that squeamish about it. I felt pretty safe. There wasn't anybody sitting next to us. So, um, But we're not seeking that out. I think that'll probably be the last time we eat indoors until there would be some other really special occasion or it was some other place that we really trusted that we felt safe at. So um, 
for, I think for most people, it'll probably be, um, that I've talked to people close to me. It's, I don't think my parents have eaten inside at a restaurant for, since this started. We went out for my father's birthday last Friday in the restaurant. We went to the barn in Gehenna slash New Albany, whatever that little exit, the little roundabout part is called. But they actually had glass up basically in between every single table. So, you know, obviously you can't have your mask on what you're eating, but they did their best to type of, you know, isolate everybody in their own little, you know, booth. Or if, even if you were at the table, at a table, there was glass in between you and the next table. I'm worried about the air conditioners. I think that's fair. I think that's the circulation. Fair. Yeah. I think that's well, a fair point. I got, I got cheesecake factory takeout for my birthday dinner. That was good. That's fine. You just had a birthday. I did. I, um, and I, I understand that that's not what everybody's doing, but again, I have a, I have a underlying condition, so I'm going to be more cautious than most people, but that's my defi- Like I'm, my daughter is playing high school tennis. My daughter is playing a high school sport. She's playing a socially distant sport. Um, they even do things like a couple of the matches. They didn't, they had separate sets of balls for the two players and you did not, if you had to get the ball back to the other player when she was serving, you could not touch it with your hand. You had to like pick up the ball with your foot and your racket and hit it back to her. So Mm. nobody touched the same tennis balls during the match. And Mm. we sit outside and we have masks, but then if we're not around anybody else while we're outside, we'll take the masks off. But um, that I'll do. But that also, like, I would take more of a risk for that because that's kind of a once in a – my daughter only has another year to play high school sports, so we're doing that. And that's a different thing. And that's why I do – I mean, like, what the, what the Big Ten parents are doing, this is a finite window for their kids to do this. So I get that. Anything that if you don't do it now, you may not be able to do it again. That, to me, is a different equation than going to a movie, going to a restaurant. I'll be able to do that again in my life, so I'm going to, like – not do it right now because you know it's not it's just not worth it to me but if it was something really special then i would risk i'd be riskier one more break coming up here on buckeye talk and we're going to come back we're going to talk about press box food we're going to talk about uh legos and we're going to talk about ohio state basketball stay with us Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We are going to talk a little bit of college basketball or Ohio State basketball specifically because we haven't done much of that uh, since the start of the pandemic as football has been so urgent in our minds. But this is for Steven. Uh, my question once again, because it's been a while, did the Buckeyes pick the best transfers that were available? I think they kind got of, the kind best. Of remind people who they got and then, and then answer the question. Yes, Seth Towns was the big get for them, 6'8", um, small forward from Harvard as a grad transfer who's going to be available right away. And then the two guards, Jimmy Sotos and Abel Porter, one guy from Bucknell, one guy from Utah State. I think as far as from a wing standpoint, I think they did. You can throw Justice Suing in there as well. Obviously, he was on the roster last year, but he was redshirted. He transferred from Cal. They had a problem with perimeter scoring last year, and they, they fixed that. So from that point – Stand up, uh, that point of view, yes, they got the best fit for what they needed that they didn't have last season. I think they probably could have gotten better guards, but also I don't think when they came into last season, they thought that DJ Carton would only be here for a year and then he transferred to Marquette. So that probably played a little bit of a role in the why their guard situation looks the way it does. But also you can just expect for, you know, CJ Walker and Dwayne Washington Jr. to play every valuable minute while Eugene Brown th- gets thrown in there a little bit as the true freshman guard there. But 
as far as from a wing standpoint, yeah, I think they got the best guys for what they needed. They needed guys who create their own shot on the perimeter, and they got two guys who are six foot eight and six six who have the ability to do that alongside with EJ Liddell. They probably could have gotten better guards, but given the situation of how you know the Big Ten is and you know what Holtman wants to do offensively, I think they got the best fit. And what? From a wing standpoint, yes. But suing doesn't count for this. He's old. He's been here a year. He doesn't count for this, right? He hasn't played yet, though. I know, but he was like, he's been here for a year. They don't. That, that's not the question now. Towns is great, but the two, the other two, uh, Bucknell and Utah State. That's not. I mean, which is what you're saying. Towns is good, but this offseason, Towns good. The other two, eh, right? Yeah. I mean, just assuming he hasn't played yet, but I don't like that's. He's been around. They he already got Chris Holtman got credit for getting him a year ago when he got here a year ago. So like in reshaping this roster, Seth Towns like falls from the sky because he's a Columbus kid who went to Harvard and was happy to come back. Doesn't mean it doesn't count. But they needed some guards and they end up getting a Bucknell kid and a Utah State kid. So I would like to just add in the my uh, on top of what Steven said, which is good wings, bad guards. Well, and I think I do quibble a little bit with the way the question was asked, which was, did the Buckeyes pick the best transfers that are out there? Well, it's not free That's agency not where you get to just like bid the highest and they come play for you or, and you certainly don't get to just take them off a shelf there. It's, it's, you're competing with other people and it's a different kind of relationship when you're talking about recruiting. Cause that's, it becomes recruiting again. And the other thing I will say is, um, and I'm not defending Holtman because frankly, I don't, I don't know enough about the nuance here to, to make a definitive statement on that, but I, I, I will say that I do – I don't think this is just coach speak. I don't think this is just Pollyanna. That fit is part of the process here. It's not just – if you have – if you're a team that already has really good three-point shooting wings or, or guards or whatever, maybe the best available transfer is another person who does that, but you need to go find a slasher who can create in a different way. I, I think that makes sense too. It's not necessarily just about going and getting the – whoever would have the highest rating on a college basketball game. Yeah, but how does that apply to the, to the actual situation here? I mean, so C.J. Walker's a transfer from before, right, Stephen? Mm-hmm. Correct. So, so Holtman had recruited him when Holtman was at Butler. Mm-hmm. He went to Florida State. He played at Florida State, and then what? The situation changed? Did, like, a guy kind of take his job a little bit or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. Well, so, but C.J. Walker's, like, a pretty good player, right? And C.J. Walker's like, man, this isn't quite working out at Florida State. Like, that's a good transfer. Right. And maybe just assuming is that right. That's a good transfer. I just don't. I mean, I'm just not. Let me be wrong. But, uh, you know, the Bucknell guy and the Utah State guy, there's only so many scholarships to go around. And I understand that you get jammed up if DJ Carton leaves when you didn't expect him to leave. But I would like their 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 sights to be set maybe a little higher on the transfer market than the Bucknell guy and the Utah State guy. For the point of that saying, the best uh, point guard on, in the transfer portal this year was Andrew Nimbrod, who transferred from Florida. He was a five-star kid coming out of high school. He transferred to Gonzaga. But I'll say, when I say fit, I mean, what, what's the role you're expecting for Abel Porter? Jimmy Soto's not playing this year. He's sitting out this year anyway. But for Abel Porter, a guy who's a redshirt senior, his job is to come in and play five minutes a game to, to spell C.J. Walker. But the majority of the time, C.J. Walker is going to be the guy on the floor. I think he fit into whatever that role is as a backup point guard for Ohio State who's also bringing in Michi Johnson as the point guard of the future for the following season. So that's what I, when I say, no, they're not the greatest options, but we're talking about a guy you're asking to come in and play five minutes max. 
Here's another basket. This actually isn't a question from a texter, but it's something I want to bring up here because it, dra it draws back to what we talked about at the beginning a little bit. But uh, John Rosti reported tonight, the Men's and Women's Basketball Oversight Committee is proposing a start date on November 25th to the Division One Council for the 2021 college basketball season. How weird is it going to be if they're playing college basketball before they're playing college football? And do you think – Who's they? they? Well – the, uh, I guess that's the I guess that's the other question. Um, this is what they're going to propose to the again per Rostein to the Division One Council. So I would assume that if the Big Ten is not playing football by November twenty fifth, they're also not going to be playing basketball by then. I mean, the Big Ten never put a date for when they're not playing sports until the Pac twelve did. So that's true. The Pac twelve has already said it's not going to play before the start of before January first. So to that point, it would be very weird since the Big Ten never put an actual date for when they want to start playing ball sports. If they try to play a basketball game before they play a football game That'll at Ohio State, Randy Wade is going to meet them at the door and say, <laughs> what are you doing? And I have no idea what the answer would be to that question. That would make sense because anything indoor, right? I mean, that's a whole different deal yeah. than anything outdoor. And I understand you're not, I mean, they're not bubbled up like the NBA. There's less contact in basketball between the players than there is in football. Obviously we understand that, but that, that is a very, I had not thought of it in those terms until this question, honestly, keeping it raw. I didn't look at the questions. That's uh, a very good point. I don't know that the big 10 could from a PR standpoint, it's a football league, right? Sorry, Indiana and Purdue. It's a football league. I think that would be a very difficult thing to try to justify to people why basketball is playing before football. Anyway, Especially when there's no legitimate plan out there officially yet. Yeah. Well, there will yeah. there'll be a plan by the time they play a basketball game. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to wrap your head around, man. And, and I understand but what John Nostrum is reporting is that's NCAA-wide. But the Big Ten's mm. going to have to have a reaction to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Randy Wade is a loyal Buckeye Talk listener. In fact, I'm pretty sure he was subtweeting us today um, mm -hmm. with his criticisms of, of the uh, some of the opinions he's hearing on the, the uh, various Ohio State podcasts. May have been more than ours, may not have been ours, but I'm pretty sure it was. Um, but I just had this vision of, like, can you get a battleship up the Ohio River? Because Randy's a, a Navy guy, and I think if they, try, if they try to play basketball before they're allowed to play football – uh, I think you're right, Doug. I think um, he, uh, among many people, will be demanding answers to that one. Because I, I what's mean, the I, answer? I, what's the answer? I Is there an imagine. answer? I can't imagine. Well, first of all, I mean, we're going to get into a whole other thing here. But it, like I, all along, I've been saying, isn't basketball like as much or more of a contact risk for transmitting a virus than football is? It's guys like sweaty guys literally rubbing each other. Like you're you're and tank just, tops and shorts at that. It's not like there are shoulder pads and helmets in between them. Indoors, I just it. it, it I don't it, know. It, yeah. it boggles my mind. I agree. Yeah, maybe since it's, I mean I don't know. The only benefit is there's less of them, so it's less people you have to worry about maybe catching the virus. But other than that, the contact is it's not as rigorous as far as to your body, but the contact of you're still touching each other is still the same. No, just in terms of contact tracing, it, it just yeah. it seems like it would be a bigger problem. Um, well, from that serious topic on to another one, from the 616, what are your thoughts on Legos? I love Legos. It, 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 why? You use your imagination to build something. I, I think when I was a kid, I loved Legos. I'm obviously at a point in my life where I am not a kid and don't have kids. So I'm, I'm, 
I wouldn't say I'm indifferent to them. I guess I lean towards being pro Lego because I think you're right. I think it's something that, especially for kids, is something that they can get a lot out of you build. I remember having like Lincoln Logs and stuff too. I think there's a point in your life though where then you have kids and you may become vehemently anti-Lego because you're always stepping on them or they're scattered all over the place or et cetera. I don't like recreational activities that feel like homework and Legos feel like homework to me. Build no, this thing. Build this. I don't want to build this. What? Build this thing. No, I don't, I'm not building that thing. I, have, I but, had no interest as a kid and none now. But it's, it's, not, it's not someone like handing you blueprints and saying, I need this done by 5 p.m. It's saying, here's a bucket of Legos. If you choose to use them, you can build whatever you want. I'm good. I'm out. The, with, what did what you, homework do did you ever kid? have that was like that? Yeah, what did you do as a kid for fun? This, this is the question. Matchbox cars, man. That's, that's the real deal. You just like push them around, put them on a track and like make them go fast or board games. I'm a board game guy. That's like a little, you know, but like a build, build this thing. And then like, cause, but honestly, I mean, and nobody does that now. There's no, the, anybody who builds a Lego thing now comes with directions, right? Oh, yeah, it comes to build yeah. a thing. That's yeah. homework. That's homework. So, I mean, if you were a kid and like, well, that's a, when you made up the Lego thing, Newsflash to anybody who didn't realize it looked like crap. Steven, if you were just randomly building, let your imagination run wild. I guarantee you when it was done, Nathan, if your imagination ran wild with Legos and your mom or your dad said, wow, that's really good. It wasn't. It sucked. It was just the point of it wasn't the end result. It was the process. The process was the point. The act of going through creation was the point. It's like when your two-year-old draws a picture and says, oh, look at this dog I drew. And it's just a bunch of squiggly lines that doesn't look like anything you don't say my god you're awful you say hey good job for trying to draw a, a dog of what a dog is in your mind first yeah, and foremost my mother said i was a genius for the things i built with my legos so you put and that look, horrible picture yeah. on your fridge every time i know but drawing a drawing a picture takes like 30 seconds building something with legos takes like a whole afternoon totally out on legos look i'm not i'm not i'm not driving the bus for legos but I am saying that I don't understand how you can say Legos feels more like homework than playing a game of Monopoly. I think it's a good way to keep a kid's mind occupied. And so that way they're not getting into trouble doing something else. Fair point. Charlie from the 773, which restaurant slash fast food chain would you want to sponsor Ohio Stadium if it meant their food would be served in the press box? This is one of the most, this is certainly the most Buckeye talk question that's been asked on this podcast tonight. Oh, really. It we probably know goes it. in the Hall of Fame of like a great Buckeye talk question because it's still football, it's still Ohio Stadium, but it's about what we really care about, and that's shoving free food down our throats. I'm gonna, I'll go first, and I have a, still a smaller window of, of Columbus places that I'm really familiar with, but um, huge fan of Ray Ray's barbecue. Um, there's a couple locations around town, just fantastic stuff, and I would, I would love it if there was Ray Ray's in the press box week after week. I would like Ohio State to play in Triangle Cut Pizza Stadium. And then we just had that pizza in the press box every week. And by the way, I am a hundred million percent behind the idea of Ohio State actually selling the naming rights to the stadium. And it can be Outback Steakhouse Stadium and you can still call it Ohio Stadium and they can get millions of dollars a year for words that they can give, give, then give to the players. I think every college football team in the country 
should sell their naming rights. I think naming rights are one of the easiest ways to make money. Nobody can make you call it that. It's just, it's free money for nothing. And so I think Ohio State should do it tomorrow. Chili's Stadium, I'm in. Surprise, um, But I mean, it's, it's such a no-brainer to me. And the idea of like, oh, Ohio Stadium is sacred. You can't, I'd sell it tomorrow. Um, Condados, just because you can have some variety in what you eat. Everybody's not technically eating the exact same thing. Yeah, but they're not going to have like the whole Condado station. It's going to be pre-made. You're going to come in and it's going to be one of two kinds of tacos. As far as the press box food. I don't uh, that that wasn't in the rules of the question. They just said to That's, pick a restaurant. Well, but you've been in a press box before. You know that when you well, like if Subway is what's in a press box for that day or that game or that you night. Can, listen, you, you can have get, some different, but you could def- if you're having tacos, you can have some different things. That, well, we went to the Fiesta Bowl and you had they had a variety of things that you could choose from to eat. It could be like that. Well, okay, you could have chicken here. You can have you know ground beef in this one and make your own taco. The Fiesta Bowl, and I've been in other NFL stadiums that have very significant um, food areas for the press. It, it's pretty fantastic. Ohio Stadium, and they're, uh, they're generous to, to feed us. They don't have to do it, I don't think, and I'm, I'm glad that they – we appreciate that they do it. But their area is not that huge where it's just like you have like a whole kitchen. You know what I mean? It's just there's food that's out on tables. So I don't know. I, 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 I like Cadado. I just don't think it would be as much variety as maybe you think it is. Ohio Stadium is bigger than – practically any food area in the big 10 though it's just college yeah. press boxes are much smaller than nfl press boxes nfl press yeah, yeah. boxes are like restaurants yeah, yeah. right uh, right but but yes. you know what i'm saying like there's not like a big fruit food prep area there now they will if uh, i this is one of the things that surprised me about covering ohio state that i wasn't expecting it's when you're working after a game and then they bring up the press some leftover food from the sweets and leave that out for the reporters who are still struggling or you know uh pounding away on their keyboards late after the game that's a nice little perk it's even better when you're doing the videos down on the field and Jay walks by with a box of pizza. <laughs> that's, that's true. We've, we've had that happen a few times. People have seen that happen in the videos, I think, on a couple of occasions. Speaking of pizza from the 937, this was direct, di- addressed directly to me, but if you guys have an answer for it, go ahead. Nathan, what's the best non-chain Chicago pizza? If you say Pequod's, I'm canceling my subscription as a tech subscriber. Not sure how recently you've been back to Chicago, but I'd go with either Roberts on Illinois Street near the Tribune or Polly G's or Dante's in Logan Square. And I actually, I have not had any of those. I've had Pequod's um, and I'm going to, I guess I just won't talk about them at all because I don't want to lose that, that sweet $3.99 a month. Um, my favorite was this place called Art of Pizza where they sold deep dish pizza by the slice. Because if, like, if you're by yourself, you can't go order a whole deep dish pizza. Um, I guess you can try False. as people, ha- you can try as people have, but if, as we saw how that turns out. But if you're, when I was up there, I was a college student. So, you know, so the other thing is deep dish pizza is expensive if you're going to buy a whole one. So this was a great place you could go. They'd have like a lunch special. You could get like a slice and a drink for like three bucks. Um, if you want to add another slice, it was like another two bucks. You're getting a huge slice of pizza. I mean, you can have, that's all you had to eat that day. It was like two slices of deep dish pizza. So uh, I was a huge fan of the art of pizza. And I think it, it it's one of the ones that it is pretty well known in Chicago. You guys have another, so I guess they're saying if you have a, a non-Chicago, a non-chain Chicago pizza. So that would be no Giordano's, no Gino's East, no Lou Malnati's, no Pizzeria Uno. So one of the other, I don't know if you guys have the experience enough to have one of the smaller ones. There was a place called Carmen's when I went to college. Uh, I don't think it's there anymore though. They, I, I really like there a lot. But other than that, I go to the chains. 
Yeah. Yeah. I haven't spent enough time in Chicago to have an answer for this. So I love, I love Giordano's. I love Lou Malnati's. I think that, I think that's good pizza. I will say, and I, I think I've, I've talked on here before about cooking my own deep dish pizza. Um, do a search on the internet or YouTube, whatever. Um, Chef John food wishes, deep dish pizza. He's got like the, the crust and the sauce, the whole recipe's there. And that's the one we make. It's fantastic. It's a, it's a good project. If you're uh, people who, uh, you know, couples who cook, or I guess even if you're by yourself, I thought um, you were going to say, do a search on the internet. There's a video of me, Nathan Baird, making Chicago-style no. pizza. Yeah, I was no. definitely going to look that up right now. Actually. There's not. Um, but it, it, it's a, this guy does great stuff. I, I, if, you, if you like cooking, um, food, food Wishes, I think it's – I can't remember which site he does the blog for, but it's called Food Wishes, and his name is Chef John, and he has a bunch of great recipes. He explains them really well with videos and, and the way he talks. It's, it's good stuff. Um, one more food thing. Uh, Coop from Cincinnati wants to know your guys' thoughts on Skyline Chili. I think we've already talked about Skyline. I'm pro Skyline. Steven would go burn down all the Skylines if he could. I think, Doug, you were maybe more anti than pro. Yeah, I'm out. I, I actually, I, I, I am having a great internal debate right now with the chain restaurant bracket that is supposed to be sit-down chain restaurants. And I did not have Skyline in the initial bracket. And like, for instance, Steak and Shake, which was done – we, which we did before off like the fast casual and fast food other that someone else made the bracket steak and shake was on that bracket, even though they have waiter or waitress service. Right. I mean, I do think normally the waiter or waitress service is a dividing line, but yet skyline and steak and shake both still have more of that fast casual feel, but I'm, I'm torn whether I don't think I'm going to include skyline because it, the, the, the menu is too limited. It's just not the same as going to Applebee's, right? It's just a really right. different experience. So I don't think I, skyline's the same. I don't think it's the spirit of what you're looking for. I don't, I don't think it's the spirit either. So I don't want people to get mad. So, okay. I, I think I'm going to officially, that actually has been holding up part of the bracket because I've been struggling with that. Um, but I don't like it. No, I don't like it. I enjoy oh, skyline. I've ever eaten. Wow. I, I enjoy it. And I, uh, not, not all the time, I, I, but I enjoy it occasionally. And I uh, was recently reminded that there's one right on um, Olentangy Road, right? Like just north of the McDonald's that we usually work at. Like you go up to the next block and there's a skyline in that strip. And I drove by it the other day. And I was like, oh yeah, there's a skyline there. And I never had went. Um, and now I'm thinking, well, like, well, if there were an Ohio State football season happening this fall, maybe I'd duck in there for lunch one day. And now I'm I can't. Um, but the rest of this question, uh, and I'd also like to know, if Ohio State was a fast food fry, who would they be? I would say Five Guys because they're simply the best overall fry. Five Guys fries would also be number one in ESPN's preseason SP Plus rankings, which I had just tweeted about um, Ohio State being number one in the SP Plus preseason rankings. Who would you guys what, – what, what fast food fry would Ohio State be? I did not prepare for this question, so I pass. You were the how? person I thought would have the best answer. I've, I mean, if I had stu- – how, how – uh, not even like a fast food restaurant, a fast food fry. So like, so, so like Joe Tiller and basketball on grass, that's like a curly fry, right? That's like a little – that's like literally a wrinkle. It's something different that you're doing. And like Wisconsin is like a big fat steak fry, right, that maybe is even like a little undercooked. I don't like the steak fries when they're a little undercooked, but they're big and they're fat. And they're thick, and you might put some cheese on them. Of course, if you're Wisconsin, the fries would have cheese on it. I, I I don't know. I don't like who has who. 
Like, a, is it like a fresh, like a boardwalk cut fry, I guess, like at Five Guys? I guess maybe I agree with the texture. I mean, it's because obviously, I mean, for this podcast, it's like, what are we going to say? It's like, well, who has the best fries? So I'm not going to say that Five Guys is Clemson, right? So I guess I'll, guess I'll agree with Five Guys. I would vote um, uh, Clemson to me would be like uh, Arby's Curly Fries. Because they're they- great and they've kind of – but they're not they, – they've kind of come out of – the, the, they're not the usual kind of fry. Like they've come on late and they're their own thing now that is kind of inhabited. But what is unusual about Clemson? They just do, they just do the same thing every other great program does. They just, oh, but just better right now. But just that they were not, they were not a traditional power the way Ohio State and Alabama are. If that's the case, then Ohio State's McDonald's fries. See, I was going to say, I was going to say Wendy's. I think Wendy's fries are, are better than McDonald's. And, um, and Ohio State can be both the kind of traditional all-American um, Midwestern thing, which is kind of what the, the fry is as itself, and that's what you have it with, with your ketchup and all that. But if you want to dip a, a Wendy's fry in a Frosty, that's also great too because Ohio State can go on the road and they can beat teams from the SEC in a way that the other fries can't. Yeah, but Wendy's even had to have a revamp. They revamped their fries at one point. McDonald's has had basically the same fry for decades now, and it's still a successful fry. Ohio State has been very successful for a couple of decades now, and they've been kind of the standard. You know, every other – look at some of the other powers around college football. They've all had these great dips. Ohio State hasn't had a great dip. McDonald's fries haven't had a great dip either. Now, the style of fry hasn't changed for McDonald's, but the consistency – the structure, the consistency of the fry has changed. There's a Malcolm Gladwell did this on his podcast a couple of uh, seasons ago about how it used to be they were cooked in beef tallow. So you were getting like real fat that was cooked in. And now it's like this, you know, synthetic whatever that they cook it in. And it's not the same flavor. So, people so it's like been, uh, Ohio State at one point was getting run first quarterbacks who couldn't throw the ball accurate 30 yards down the field. And now they've got NFL level quarterbacks. But no, I think it's because it's, it's not just, it's not that it's that it used to be better and now it's kind of fake good. Whereas I think Ohio state was, it's almost gone the other way. I mean, they're traditionally strong, but now they're like actually there. I mean, they're right there on the cusp of being one of the three best programs in the country. So did everyone listening to this podcast, when Nathan just said that (laughs) they used to be good and now they're kind of fake good. Did everyone listening scream (laughs) McDonald's fries are Michigan? Oh, that's see, yeah. that's a, there, see, we there go. you go. That's why Ohio State way. can't be McDonald's yeah, fries. That's fair. That's a good way to look at it. I'm trying to think wow. if like Rutgers is a tater tot or something. I, that's, I've just been sitting here. I've I've been. I think like Rutgers a sweet potato fry. Who's a waffle fry? Who's a crinkle cut fry? It's probably a post. Rutgers or steak and shake fries. They're not Rutgers good, is, but they they give you a lot of them. It's, they're not. Rutgers isn't good, and yet. Every year you have to go play them. And every other year you have to go to New Jersey to do it. Rutgers is the McDonald's fries you bought two days ago and are trying to warm up in the microwave and think they'll still be good. We probably, so we, we can tell our audience, we're trying to sort of develop like a Buckeye Talk page for us where you can go read stories there. Not just, it's not just our Ohio State coverage, but it's the specific stories that sort of are in the, the vein of Buckeye Talk. And to me, I'm not so sure that we shouldn't start going down this road, especially while there aren't games. And have like and a, a post every week that is – maybe every week it's just doing all 14 Big Ten football teams if they were blank, right? If they were fries, if they were 
um, flavors of soda, if they were whatever. And I, I probably think that maybe people would read that. We could do a deep fry. Do a what? They call it a deep fry. That, that, was, an attempt, that was an attempt to call back, I think, to uh, his deep toot. Um, no, oh, it's just like, you know, it's like you do a deep dive into something. Well, if we're comparing them to fries, you can just do a deep oh, fry. Oh, do a deep fry. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, whoever wants you guys. It's late, guys. Okay. I'll fight over it. Well, here, here, we're going to end up with one that was sent almost 12 hours ago at 1046 a.m. from the 616. Star Wars or Marvel MCU? Which one is, is Marvel the Avengers? Yes. Because yeah. I actually still get confused between the one that's like the Captain America, Black Panther guys, and which one is like the Wolverine. That's guys. all that's Marvel. Marvel. That's all Marvel? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, why it's the, that's why it's the MCU, you being universe. It's is Wolverine friends with Captain America? I mean – Friends, they're friends and well-wishers. <laughs> but sure. they've never been in a movie together, right? No, they've never been in a movie because there's obviously a business side of doing movies, but they have been in comics together before. Yeah. They have? But who they're all the, But Wolverine and all those mutant people. The mutant people are the, the same people with the X-Men are in the same group as the Hulk and Iron Man and Captain America and Black Panther. Correct. That's true. That's a true statement. That's really, ba true? Batman is the other. Batman is the DC. The DC. No, yeah. well, Batman, so that, I mean, Batman's growing up, anyone of, of our age, did you watch the Super Friends growing up, League of Justice, Nathan, like that cartoon? Uh, vague memories of it, yeah. But, like, that's me. That I'm Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, The Flash. That's the Justice League. The Justice League. That's my group more than – these other guys so i'm out on both of those and so like i like star wars so i would take star wars over the marvel universe but i would take batman aquaman superman wonder woman green lantern over both of them yeah i mean as a guy that kid that was born in 1978 like the star wars cultural phenomenon was so massive like that and it lasted until well i mean it's never really dissipated completely but certainly Right, Doug? I mean, into the mid to late 80s, it was still just this huge thing. And so I grew up just a, a massive Star Wars fan, and that's always been um, – I also just appreciate kind of the humanity, especially of the first three movies. Like, I feel like those were real people as much like crazy, you know, science fiction stuff was going on. I felt like you got more like real soul and, and humanity in those people than you do in the characters from the Marvel movies. So I like I Star Wars. I will say, and obviously, I mean, it hit everybody. I mean, it, you know, but to lose Chadwick Boseman, I, I thought Black Panther was the best movie sort of of any of those type of movies. Star Wars, Batman movies, Marvel Universe. I thought for like a superhero movie that it was so real and had such a real story behind it and was so good. Um that that the Black Panther movie took all of the Marvel, drew me into that Marvel universe. I was never into Iron Man. I was never really into the Captain America movies. I didn't really, the Hulk or whatever, Thor. I didn't watch those. But then that brought me into the universe because it felt so much deeper than what I thought a typical like superhero movie to be. And I think that even goes beyond the Star Wars movies. I'm going to go Star Wars just because I grew up watching those with my dad. And that's how we've kind of bonded obviously with other things as well, but with that, I do like the Marvel movies though, just cause it's been basically my teenage years and to now, but I'll say Star Wars over Marvel. I can't remember a more 
for me, like a more shocking celebrity passing from natural causes than this, than Chadwick Boseman. Like I just, nobody knew he was sick. And yeah, to not know, he did a lot of powerful movies while dealing acting, with cancer. Yeah. And not just like he made some terrible, no, he made like four or five really good movies all while he had cancer. That required a lot of physical, you know, changes in his body, depending on what the role was. I mean, the, the iconic roles, and I don't know if they'll, I'm, not, I'm saying iconic that because he was portraying icons. I don't know that they'll live in cinematic history forever as, as iconic performances. But I mean, you're, you're portraying Thurgood Marshall and Jackie Robinson and James Brown, and then T'Challa, King T'Challa, um, which is a, a, obviously a fictional character, but also has a real resonance as a, a kind of a cultural touchstone now. Like, um, to pack all that into such a short amount of time is spectacular. And I, I certainly wasn't, um, it, unfortunately, it's just one of those things that I think, even as someone like we were talking before, like I watch a lot of movies. I, I don't really watch, I, I'm not a huge comic book movie fan, but like, um, I don't think I appreciated enough what he had done in a short amount of time. And it, unfortunately, you sometimes only recognize that after the fact. We lost the Black Panther and the Black Mamba within 10 months. So, yeah, it's been tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of fun tonight, and then we're going to end on. Well, let, me, let, me, let me ask this. I, I, I okay. wanted to bring this. You and I, I was, didn't know if we want to mention it. You mentioned, do we want to, you made a reference to a Randy Wade tweet that I don't know that everybody is going to understand the reference. Do you want to read the tweet since you brought it up? Yeah, let me find it. And uh, so, he went on a little rant about blue checks too, if you want to just. Well, I actually don't have a blue check right now because me I, either. Uh, I lost it when I switched over to this to my name, whatever it is now, in Baird, uh, NW Baird, when I switched from, because it had my identifier for my last place in it. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can. This is a great podcast. Remember, we're just searching for tweets. So obviously this is Randy Wade, who's been on this podcast. I've got it up. I, I can read it off if you want to. I've got it up right now. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so he's got the word most in all caps and with, you know, he says, most Ohio State local media, i.e. podcasts, seem to be the only people who have, who have given up on a season with the possibility of a college football playoff. It will happen. Don't give up the fight. Hashtag trust the process. Hashtag fight. So, like, Randy knows that we are – we just say what we think on this podcast, and I think Randy has been, like, really interesting um, and – has had some impact. Again, I don't think the protests themselves, I don't think just pressure will be enough to change the minds on this. But um, I think you would have to acknowledge that, that what the parents have done um, has had some effect. I don't know how you try to rate it, um, but it's had some effect. But I, I was like, I just, since you brought it up, Nathan, I don't know, like I, I wasn't, I thought, I thought it was an interesting um, tweet but the one thing that I just like wanted to make clear, and I don't know if it needs to be made clear, is like we're not fighting. Like it's not – we're covering the fight. We're not part of the fight. Right. And I talked to Randy. Like I, I, I love – I think Randy is a great guy. But I'm not, I'm not fighting on behalf of Ohio State, and I'm not pretending to. And I'm a columnist, and I could. 
but I'm like, I, it's not where I am. Like, I think their voices should be heard. I think Kevin Warren should talk to them. And I think it's ridiculous that he hasn't talked to them, but, um, and I just thought it was like maybe an interesting distinction. I mean, clearly there are other Ohio state outlets who are like in the fight. I mean, you don't have to, and they would not dispute that. There are Ohio state reporters who tweet very, strong opinions on this and i'm not saying that they're wrong or that they're right but they're certainly not shy about doing it and they are like on the parent side and they are on the side of believing that ohio state should play this fall i think there's a lot of interesting ways to look at it but i did just sort of like if anybody saw that tweet and it might have been about this podcast and we love that randy listened and randy has his own podcast and randy has a really good podcast and the idea that Randy Wade has had a strong voice on behalf of his son and other players, I think is great. But just, I think, I don't know. I just would sort of wanted to bring up, once you mentioned it, Nathan, I just wanted to like make it clear. It's like, it's, we're, we're not fighting. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it's no offense, but like, it's not my fight. No. And I think that's an important thing to remind people like some somebody today, as these reports are coming out, I would occasionally say, hey, as you're seeing this person say this and this, don't forget about this. And one of our, one of, I don't know if it's one of our tech subscribers, but somebody who followed me on Twitter um, called me Debbie Downer because I, I was following up with like the kind of the sober reality of some of these situations. And I, I said something back to him like, well, actually, I'm more like Connie Context. I'm more like that just, hey, just don't forget this other part of the perspective. And I think that's the important thing to remember. Like if, if we say, if we say, like what I was saying the other day, that I don't think, you know, that I don't think that the Big Ten presidents and chancellors might be rethinking their decision as a bad one because they're seeing what else is happening in the country and it might actually reinforce their decision. That's not me saying that anything, that's not me putting a judgment on the decision they made or even how they're thinking about it. I'm just trying to put myself in their mind and give people the perspective like, here's maybe something you're not thinking about. Make sure you look at it from this angle too. That's a lot of times all we're trying to do. It's trying to give a full perspective to, that's almost sometimes more important than just the information is perspective. Giving someone a piece of information without the full perspective sometimes isn't very useful at all. And that's what I feel like we try to do. I just think as we discuss this on this podcast, we have to discuss it in a way of things that are actually happening and not just, like you said, we're not fighting on their behalf, but I'm also not, rooting that their kids don't play football this fall. I just have to speak on what's actually happening. And as of right now, the Big Ten is not playing football. And so that's how I'm going to view – that's how I'm going to respond to things when we talk about it. So it's fine. I mean, I, I just it, – like, it's not like we have to defend ourselves. I mean, I, I, I mean, everybody has a right to their opinion. And, like, I, I totally get where Randy Wade's coming from. But it's like since you brought up the tweet, Nathan, I thought it was worth a, a uh, brief discussion about it. And – and I, like I, if you are a tech subscriber and you want to text us and say, well, I actually think this, or I wish you guys would talk about it this way. And here's the other thing too, is like, I've pushed back against anybody who thinks they know what's going to happen. And that's why I said, I enjoyed the fact that media, if you were sure they were going to play the whole, you know, college football is not going to play college football is going to play. You're wrong both ways. If you thought you knew for sure you were wrong. And I think it's just, I think it's fun to act like you have certainty of this team's going to beat this team because it's just sports, whatever, but this is part of a nationwide real world discussion. And so when you have sports writers who stray into those worlds or have those worlds forced upon us where we have to deal with that, and then you apply the same level of certainty 
and the same level of presumed expertise about the issue, that I think is silly. And if you felt along the way that we have done that, that we've acted like experts when we weren't, then I apologize for that because, you know, it's been very hard to, to try to get your hands around it. And I do think people's views on the situation have changed over time and what they what their level of tolerance is and what they expect to happen and what should happen. And that makes sense too. Um, but I just, I just did want to make it clear of like, we are absolutely, it's part of our job to cover the fight. And I think it's been an interesting fight. And by fight, I mean, hashtag fight what Ryan day and Randy Wade and everybody else involved at Ohio state has been uh, hashtagging and, and talking about, I think it's super interesting and super important, but again, it's, we're going to cover it. We're not going to really participate in it. I think that's a good place to wrap up for the night. We're going to have more the rest of this week on these topics. Uh, if it's another big event, like the leader of the free world, for instance, speaking up and getting involved in the conversation, then I think Doug will join us. It may just be me and Steven uh, for the next couple of days. Uh, we've got some fun stuff that we've got kind of on the, the back burner, but I, I don't want to tease to them specifically because we're going to have, other, again, it's just some other big news that could also come out this week, and that'll probably take uh, priority in those cases. So, um, But, you know, we're here every day, so it'll be something good, hopefully, whether it's newsy, whether it's uh, something a little bit more creative. So uh, I'm Nathan Baird for Doug Lamarice, for Stephen Means. That was Buckeye Talk. Mm -hmm.